With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Meaning Project Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel A. Franz. Dr. Dan, for those of you are, who are more into that whole brevity thing, as always, got to thank you. Thank you. Like, I had a wonderful time recording this podcast, and it's all your fault. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to bring a little bit of mental health and meaning to your day. Um, so I'll start with a question. How much fun can you have with a doctor in biophysical chemistry and molecular structure who also holds an MBA, MBA in international sustainability. I don't know. I'm going to have to let you be the judge of that. Personally, I had a blast chatting with Dr. Shu Simon of, you, you got to check out this website, you guys, shoefits.com. Um, shoefits.com, right? Get it? Like if the shoe fits. However, her name is not spelled that way. Her name is actually XU. So X-U-F-I-T-S dot com. Uh, again, Dr. Shu Fitz, a PhD in biophysical chemistry and molecular structure with an MBA in international sustainability, an award-winning uh, TED talker who speaks on the topic of working with your resonant frequency. After listening to the podcast, do yourself a favor, hop on over to shoefits.com, check out her TED talk. It's, it's one of the more brief ones. It is fabulous. She, I mean, she takes some pretty complex laws of physics and really breaks them down into understandable ways to talk about how we can work better um, as individuals in our own lives, in our companies, and with our families. So it was an absolute pleasure chatting with her. I'm sure that will come through in the podcast. I certainly hope you enjoy and thank you again for this opportunity to bring a little bit of mental health meaning to your day. Here is Dr. Shu Simon. Well, good morning, Shu. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, out of your very busy schedule, to share a little bit on the Meaning Project podcast. I certainly appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Dr. Dan. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, I, I want to start right where your TED Talk starts. So just a, a quick introduction. I mean, here you are. You have a, a PhD in biophysical chemistry and molecular structure. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Excellent. An MBA in international sustainability, two degrees, a whole bunch of experience, time in the field doing amazing work. And somehow you were let go for incompetence. 
which launched a whole new career, it sounds like. But how, with all of that experience and, and, and understanding and knowledge, how do you get let go for incompetence? What happened? What uh, going on in that question? Um, so there are at least three things that I can think of. Um, some of it is societal. And mm -hmm. at the beginning of my TED Talk, I do point out that the societal um, structure around this is this was within six months of returning to work from maternity leave. So something has changed. We do expect there to be protections for new parents when they are coming back into the workforce. And uh, I am not the only person to have discovered that those perfect, those protections are not necessarily perfect. Mm -hmm. So some of it was, there was a change. There was a change in my work life um, that I came back as a new mom. So that was some of it. Yeah. Some of it is in your question, I heard this assumption of education and a lot of education, meaning competence, right. meaning employability. And there are a couple of assumptions going in there um, that I really, really wish were true uh, because that makes it sound like there's a protocol to follow. You just go to work and you do your job. You go to school, you figure things out and people will employ you and you will be safe. Wait, and I have to jump in there because I like literally just 20 minutes before hitting the record button sent uh, my oldest back to college. And that reminds me, like, you. wait, is <laughs> that's a whole other uh, podcast. Um but the idea that it, isn't that what we're teaching our young people? You go to school, you get the degree, you get the the job, and life goes on happily ever ever after, just like Disney tells us. Oh well, then that brings us to the third point, which okay. is there is a way that science works, and mm -hmm. there is a way that people work, and there is some overlap between that, but the mm -hmm. overlap is not complete. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we're doing in the education system is you know, creating a sense of you as the student need to pull your own weight. You need to fit my, meaning society's expectations. Mm -hmm. And if you're not meeting them, then there is something that is wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And to go into the TED Talk, what is wrong with you is most likely that you are not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. And that is the assumption that I would like to poke a hole in. I think that there is a difference between working hard enough and working at the right frequency mm -hmm. on the right things. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the idea of right frequency, because I love the way the, the, the swing analogy that you use in your TED Talk is, is wonderful. But what does it mean to work at your resonant frequency? I'm going to talk first about this, the swing analogy that you're mm -hmm. talking about. And I think mm -hmm. that that's going to illustrate what I mean by resonant frequency. Mm -hmm. uh, and so very quickly, resonant frequency is a term in physics. I heard it in high school and it's been you know, occupying space in my brain for more decades than I care to admit, because you did not ask me my age. Uh, and I think about this more than other people. But it is something that is there all around us. And I'm going to illustrate it in this swing example. So I'm talking about a swing where you're pushing a kid or someone on a swing. 
So you're the person who's doing the pushing and the kid wants you to push. And the way you start is you just put in some energy. You push that kid and the kid goes forward and then the kid goes back. And you, your job at that point is to figure out when the kid comes back to you so that you can push again. And you keep doing that and you keep doing that. And then in, you know, assuming that you're having a good time in less time than you think that kid's going really high and laughing and having a great time. And there are a couple of things about that. The rate at which the swing comes back to you is the resonant frequency. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by frequency is it's that time interval at which you need to put in energy. Uh, That frequency does not change depending on how high that kid is going. So that frequency depends only on the length of the swing and the force of gravity. So most places on earth, the force of gravity is going to be relatively constant. Mm -hmm. So that is what defines the resonant frequency. So here you are, you are putting in some energy and the goal here is to get this kid going high to to do work, as we would call it in physics, and to have a really good time. The best way to do that is to be sensitive to the swing and give the swing what it needs when it needs it. If you are impatient and you want to do this faster or you want to be the best swing pusher and you think that the way to do that is to put more energy in and to push more often than the swing comes back, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for injury. You can't push a swing that's not there and expect to get anything out of it. So the answer isn't necessarily do more, work harder. The answer might be figure out what is needed and give it. I, again, I was listening to that this morning and I just love how closely that resembles our attitudes towards work and and what you found out in, in your departure from that job and how you transformed it into this amazing opportunity but the idea that well if we want to achieve something again using the college student example don't we just work harder and put in more hours and time and rather than the standard 40 hour work week if i if i double that surely i'll get there twice as fast right <laughs> that uh, that works only if you are in the linear range. So that only works if there is a linear relationship between what you put in and what you get out. And that is less true than I think we we think. Like even just in retail, if you buy more goods, you don't necessarily just multiply the price by the number of goods. You can get a bulk discount. There are always ways that, to fund the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of variability there. So how does that, in your opinion, how does that swing analogy relate to our current work world? Ah, okay. So the swing analogy and how it relates to the current work world. Like, I will admit that when I heard about this in high school, I was getting senioritis. I was getting burned out. I was already noticing that this was a problem in my life, that I wanted to be good enough by an Mm. external standard. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I was not getting it. And so I figured that the issue was with me and that if I just put more in, I would one day reach the qualification of good enough. And uh, mm-hmm. if you want to unpack that, yes, that has something to do with why I have so many degrees. Sure. And, and at the same time, I noticed this physics class that said more input does not necessarily mean more output. And that really struck me because I noticed that the more input was making me tired. It was making me cranky. It was actually reducing my ability to think and remember. And so this gave me a physics explanation and people tend not to argue with physics (laughs) if they understand it well. The laws of physics, you don't have to understand them but you do have to obey the laws of physics. And here it is, there's a law of physics that is different from more input equals more output. So I don't think that I'm unique in feeling external pressure to put more into work or school and have that assumption that if I just put more in, I would eventually reach this platform that I call good enough. Mm -hmm. I I would absolutely agree with that and and share probably anywhere from four to 10 examples on a daily basis in my my clinical and coaching work, right? I mean, if we look at it, that, in my opinion, in my experience, that has to be a core issue of many people that are seeking help for mental health or coaching to improve their work environment. So what do we need to change? How do we adapt this physics model into our work environment and education system? So one thing that I would like to see happen is is to take a look at the interactions that are happening. So if we're talking about the swing, and so the person on the swing, and there's this person who's pushing the swing, that is an interaction. And because one person's pushing, one person's getting pushed. Both of those people are important for this interaction. The person on the swing needs to create the tension so the swing can actually move. The person who's pushing the swing needs to push the swing so that the swing will actually move. So both of these people need to work together in order to get the swing to move. I think that what happens a lot in work is there is a hierarchy where the assumption is there is only one person who needs to put something into this act, uh, this system in order to get it to move. Mm-hmm. And often that person is the underpowered person. And so this is how I think that it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. If somebody is being asked for more and more and more, and there is nothing coming to meet that person, is that really going to work out in everybody's favor? And I think the simple answer is absolutely not. No way. Right. And I think we see that more and more, especially leading into COVID. And I've I've quoted or or misrepresented the statistic a few times in, in recent history. I believe in 2008, the average length of stay on a job was 1.5 years. Coming into COVID, it had decreased to eight months people were becoming increasingly, increasingly unhappy with their work situation. And now, and and I think you talk about this a little bit in your TED Talk, post-COVID, something you said, right? The the way we used to work 
is beyond some people's capacity, beyond the, the capacity of a lot of different systems right now. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, when you say the way we used to work is beyond some people's capacity, what do we do there? Oh, I'm so glad that you used the word capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I am the mother of two young spirited boys, oh uh, and in a post-COVID world, I am much more likely now to notice that I am coming up to the limit of my capacity for productivity. Uh, that happens a lot to me now. It happened a little bit less when maybe there were fewer demands on me, or maybe I just had more ability to sleep and actually reset. So one thing is to notice when capacity is diminished. You wouldn't blame your cell phone for being non-productive when your cell phone clearly tells you it needs to be plugged in in order to work for you. Why are people any different? Why is it when somebody tells you, I need rest, I need something different, I need a change in order to do good work, one of the initial reactions is, well, just be better. Right. And I don't think that is following the laws of physics. I think that there are real limits. And if we ignore these limits, it's to our detriment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and- to go along with that, I think, again, in recent history, in the past few years, those limits seem to have changed. We The, the environment has changed the, the limits that people are able to tolerate. I agree. And I can tell you a little bit about what my experience was during COVID. So I was an adjunct professor. I was teaching biology during COVID, which actually was an excellent place to be. Because all of a sudden, everybody was interested in biology. Here is this biological thing that is creating our problem. So I was just, I was on cloud nine as far as everybody being interested in my subject, even though this was a required class. So what I did is halfway through the semester, when people, I could tell people stopped being able to pay attention to what was on the curriculum. Mm -hmm. But they were paying attention to viruses they were paying attention to RNA. Um, And so I could tailor the curriculum from what was originally put down into something that people could pay attention to because they were interested. Mm -hmm. So in that case, I noticed a change uh, that was happening in uh, the people who were receiving my message, like they were stressed out They were not interested in anything except COVID. Uh, And I noticed that I had the ability to meet them somewhere and still teach them some biology. And I chose to do that. Now, after the fact, I was at this faculty debrief where, uh, where people asked, how did you deal with COVID? And I was surprised at the number of teachers who said, well, I knew that the students were going to go off campus. So I just pushed the deadlines for everything up so that they would turn all of their work in before moving off campus. And my thought was, wait, you you had deadlines that were spanning a whole semester and in response to stress, you made the deadlines tighter. In what world does this work? Um, And I understand now that it was the teacher's stress response and that they were looking for an answer. And the answer is get all this work done. 
Whereas what I was looking for was something different. I was looking for learning and engagement. And I was getting my students to love the subject so that when I'm gone, because they only have me for one semester, they go out and they know how to learn something that is interesting to both them and me. What a fascinating response. I personally love that. So let me poke some holes in it. Let's poke some holes in it together and say, because I I could, I mean, yes, that is the perfect, uh, it sounds like the perfect physics related response in adapting the system. Psychologically speaking, you met the students where they were. However, in a, in a organization and especially in the education system, well, but wait, did you teach all the standards you adapted to meet the students' needs, but did you check off all of the boxes so that they achieved what they, it sounds like your your peers were seeking, okay, how do we check the boxes to make sure the standards are met in the quickest way possible so I can relieve my stress and who cares if the students are more stressed out? Um, whereas your response was ideal um, in, a, in a healthy manner, but I could see the uh, the higher ups in the organization saying, well, did you achieve what whatever governing organization said you needed to achieve there? How do we how do we meet halfway there and in, in allowing our especially um, I, I feel like uh, our high school students and our undergrads right now are really struggling with that. Even still, well, you have to to learn these standards. You have to memorize these things, even though you have all this memorization in the palm of your hands on your smartphone um, and, and teachers are no longer allowed to meet students where they are. What needs to change there? How do we change that system? I think that the answer to that question uh, involves power dynamics. Mm. And power, of course, is another term that you hear about in physics. Mm -hmm. Uh, So power and reactivity. So what you're talking about is standards. Mm -hmm. Who sets the standards? The person or the entity in power is going to set the standards. And then the expectation is that the person or entity who is underpowered or implementing is going to meet those standards. Mm-hmm. However, there is something inherent in those standards where that everybody in the system has to agree enough with the standards to implement them. So in my situation, all of a sudden, there was a power dynamic switch. The standards were no longer the most powerful thing in the room. The fear, the COVID, Mm -hmm. the pandemic overpowered the standards. And so I used my, my, um, my implementation strategy to what I thought was the more relevant standard which is get these students home safely, ideally by thinking a little bit about biology. Right. And and I think the word you use also is critical, engagement, desiring to learn, taking something with them after they left you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think that there is something key about, I don't need to always be working in order to have a good impact. What I would like to do is I would like to start, I would plant the seeds in my students Mm -hmm. so that they can go get the resources they need from 
all of their interactions from all of their world. Mm-hmm. And that is when I make a good impact. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a, what a beautiful idea. And, and, and several examples here, if I, if I can sneak in some logo therapy, some psychology of meaning, right. You, you've shared two or three examples of difficult situations, rising above difficult situations, employing what, you know, the, the laws of physics and, and, and other experiences to really achieve something far greater than maybe even you expected, um, to, to accomplish. And I think that's just such a, a great statement. But this idea, I, I keep going back to what a powerful idea of employing the laws of physics in an organizational sense, in a professional sense, in our work world and educational sense. It just makes sense. Why aren't we doing that? Why are more systems doing that? You sounding just like a scientist. Why do more people not think about science? Um, I'll tell you, uh, I'll answer your question from two different, uh, two different areas. So one is one of the reasons that I like science is that it is foundational. We as scientists are looking to uncover the things that are around us and that are working the way they're going to work, whether we notice it, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And when you really build a strong foundation, so in this case, when you really build a solid understanding of science and how the world works, yes, that's a good foundation to build anything else on top of. Uh, so I absolutely see the value of that. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, science is good is a bias that I have. And I have generated that bias by going to school for more years than I care to admit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm gonna tell this story about a friend of mine who is an artist. And especially in graduate school, when you're just so you know, eyeballs deep in mm-hmm. your subject matter, um, all I thought about was science. All I really cared about was how electrons move. And so I was looking at my world and I would see objects and I would wonder how are these electrons moving in these objects? And that took up so much of my brain space. And I realized maybe that's not the question that everybody else in the world is asking themselves all the time. So I wanted to know what other people thought about. So I asked the person whose profession was the farthest away from mine that I could think of. And this is my friend who is an artist. And I asked her, what do you think about all the time? And she gave me a one word answer. And the one word answer was lines. And of course, so I would look at the same object and somebody told me to look at lines. And now I see lines all over the place. Like, are they parallel? How are they interacting? And just that little shift in reference got me to see the world differently for, you know, this was about 10 years ago. And I still think of lines because of that one word answer. I I can't stop all of a sudden looking at the lines in the studio now. Thank you. There are a lot of lines behind your head. (laughs) There are. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There are quite a few lines. You know, that's fascinating. Something you said really struck me and I'm going to have to, I think I'll be spending a lot of time thinking about this, right? Science works whether or not you're paying attention to it, whether or not you even believe it, right? And if I take that and, and and look at the parts of psychology that are a science, right? Psychology, human nature works, whether you're paying attention to it or not. And if we look at how our work world is, is well, paying attention to people and their work environments these days, 
there are forces of psychology at work that are not working for people, employees, students. And at some point, these systems have to change, especially if we look at COVID as kind of a, a igniting factor to pay attention to this. I, I think we're living in a very interesting time as we push forward with these different understandings, the understandings you're bringing to light. And, and if we use psychological science as well, that um, we're working against human nature in way too many aspects of, of psychological nature and the nature of physics and, and, and natural law. And, well, things have to change at some point. It'll be interesting to see how they do change. I agree. I think that they can change gently if we're sensitive about when things don't work and we try to change. And I'd also like to give permission for people to just try to make a change, even if they don't absolutely know all of the theory behind it. Just see if the see if the situation gets better. If not, change back. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. I talk a lot uh, on the podcast and with individuals that I that I coach that, you know, sometimes personal experimentation on yourself or in your environment can yield some really interesting results. But you can't you can't ex- take big experiments all the time personally, but taking little ones, making little changes to see what they yield can be really really powerful. And and I continue to go back again, recognizing I just sent my daughter back to school an hour ago um, and, and the struggles that that not only she, but uh, I work with many young adults in that environment and how you know, I think I, I heard somewhere along what you were saying that um, we, we need a, a revolution of college students to change their <laughs> change their situation to say, no, we don't want to fit the standards. We want to learn what we want to learn and teach us that. But maybe that happens in in a, in, a, in some period of time how can individuals in from your perspective how can individuals do these little experiments engage in this these these little changes to maybe change their world their environment today or or, or after listening to this podcast ah, so now you're talking about the the deep essence of science and how science is done. And so the first thing that I would like to say in this is if you're doing an experiment, always keep in mind that you are asking a question. And when you are asking a question, no is always a possible answer. So first things first, just blank everything out and ask yourself whether no is an acceptable answer here. And if no is not an acceptable answer, I think something needs to be redesigned. If no is not an acceptable answer, you're going into the realm of power or narcissism or something that is not science, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's not an experiment. So an experiment is just curiosity. See what happens. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like the answer, at least you know the answer. Yeah, I, I, I want to dive into that a little bit. Can can you think of an example? Where is no not an acceptable answer? What what would we be diving into? Or how would we dive into that power in narcissism? Oh my goodness, how is no not an acceptable answer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the that's pretty much the meaning of my life. All right, uh, I'll uh, I'll talk about. I have a three year old and a six year old, mm-hmm. and I'm training them as well as I can to understand limits. And uh, right now the three-year-old just is having a little bit of trouble um, distinguishing between what he wants and what is. So Mm. often what he wants is not what is. 
And my job is to make sure that, that there is a distinction between that. And so he'll ask for something and the answer will be no. And he'll ask for any number of things from as simple as, you know, can I have an ice cream or can we go to the moon tomorrow, please? Ask very, <laughs> very politely. If the answer is no, I will say as politely I can, this is not on offer. The moon is not on offer. And then the reaction very often is, you know, for a three-year-old, very developmentally appropriate, a temper tantrum. So that's an indication to me that no is not an acceptable answer. Mm -hmm. And so then my job is to figure out what to do with that. Yeah. So uh, for all those other parents out there listening, uh, what, what, what do you do there? Oh, in that case, um, first of all, I hold my ground. The, uh, you have to hold your ground if the, the question is, are we going to the moon? But if the question is, can I have an ice cream? And the answer is no, mm -hmm. then whether or not he understands that the answer is no, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. So I hold this difficulty in learning the truth with compassion. So I stay with him. I make sure that his body is safe and all the hard objects in the house are safe. And it's going to pass. I just wait for it to pass. Right. And I right. stay with him and I try to stay connected. And if at all, I can tell him that I understand Mm -hmm. that this is frustrating and I understand why this is frustrating. The world that you want is not the world that you have. And that's a real, that's a deep mourning process. Mm -hmm. Then at least we stay connected while he's having a temper tantrum. That is so beautifully empathic and understanding using the laws of physics for parenting. I love it. It's beautiful. And it's, I, I have to be honest, I I cannot stop giggling back here because in the past 48 hours, I, I mean, using uh, limits at, I think it was 7.45 a.m. the other morning as as uh, the 18-year-old returned home from a 12-hour shift on her job, really tired, but still wanting to have many conversations about things. And mom and I just like, hey, we barely had a cup of coffee and we're already getting ready for work. We're not ready to, there are limits here. And, and as much as you want to talk about this right now, can we wait till we're all three as energetic as you are right now? Um, and, and then the, the beauty, uh, like what you said, when your reality, I think that was a conversation last night, when your reality is not what you want it to be or not possible, I think the beauty, uh, the, the evolution of a three-year-old to an 18 or a 20-year-old is the, uh, the art of negotiation and, and all that they learn and the ability to say, well, maybe I can't go to the moon today. What, what about tomorrow? What variables do I need to manipulate or control or learn so that the moon is an offer at some point there, mother? And I think that is absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, because just because I don't see a way for the moon right. to be on offer in five years, mm -hmm doesn't mean it's not doesn't mean right. you can't help contribute to creating a reality where that is on offer right. go ahead and uh, I will point out that I very clearly used my three-year-old as an example because this is a developmentally appropriate stage to for no to not be an acceptable answer right that said I see behavior that is you know, not exactly similar but has mm -hmm. some of the same underlying principles in everyone around me. 
Absolutely. Learning to deal with my three-year-old makes me better at adults. Absolutely. And and yes, um, I think as, as much as many of us might be embarrassed to admit it, we are all capable of, uh, of a temper tantrum every once in a while. I've been known to do it myself. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's so ironic to, to, to bring that up. I believe it was last night. I can't even remember what we were negotiating. But uh, in my opinion, there was a hard and fast rule like, no, I shall not change this, uh, my opinion. And somehow, boy, she did a great job in, in introducing new ideas and presenting her point of view to say, well, can we, I believe the word negotiating and compromise came out. And I thought, well, you got me listening now. I'll pay attention to this. And uh, there was a compelling argument by the end. I, I, I think I think that young lady may have conducted science somewhere on a, on my mind example of growth exactly you gotta love it that's the beauty of parenting right we we get to see those examples every day even as as trying as a temper tantrum might be shoo dr simon it's been an absolute pleasure i know you i, I am curious can i ask uh, with within the in the world outside of speaking and sharing these ideas in your ted talk what is a day in the life like what do you after we get done here what do you get to go off and do Ah, okay. I am a chief technology officer at Mm -hmm. a company called Enozo Technologies. Now, Enozo is ozone spelled backwards. Now, ozone. Yeah. All right. You have thoughts about ozone. You want to tell me your thoughts about ozone? No, no. I just know. I I saw that it was an ozone. I'm like, I didn't realize. Like, well, that's a cool name for a company. And then you just demystified it for me. It's ozone (laughs) spelled backwards. That's cool. It is. So what Enozo creates is an ozone generator. And most of the time when people think of ozone, they think of the ozone layer. And the ozone layer is a good thing. What the ozone layer does is it absorbs UV light. So it protects us from UV light. Um, And it helps buffer the temperature of the world. Mm -hmm. So we don't like it when the ozone layer gets depleted. Mm -hmm. Now, ozone can also be around um, just closer to to the ground. And in fact, you can smell ozone after a lightning storm. So after Mm -hmm. lightning, that clean, fresh smell, that is ozone being created. So what Mm -hmm. ozone is, is it is three oxygen molecules instead of two. So ozone is O3, oxygen is O2 molecularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you create it by having a very strong electrical charge around oxygen, O2. Mm -hmm. So it rearranges the uh, the molecules, it creates O3, and O3 is not as stable as O2. So ozone is not as stable as oxygen. Ozone wants to go back to oxygen. And in the meantime, it's going to bump into things and it'll react with them um, and it will uh, it will do some chemistry. What we do at Inozo is we harness that chemi- chemistry for sanitization purposes. Mm-hmm. So we have an ozone generator that makes a very small quantity of ozone. It is safe for human consumption uh, and that it sanitizes surfaces and uh, we also have an ice machine product so it sanitizes ice as well Mm. so what it will do is it will kill microbes um, and it will do all of this within 10 minutes and within 10 minutes you don't have any chemical residue left whereas if you use bleach whatever is unused sticks around and then if your for example three-year-old wants to lick it they're Mm. licking bleach Um, if they're licking ozone first of all it's not a concentration that's going to harm them. And second, 
you know, it goes away so quickly. Mm -hmm. So is this a, uh, just uh, what kind of product is this? Is it, a, you say it sanitizes, is it a, 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 I'm picturing like a, an air, some kind of air purifier or is it a spray on what, what is it? So you're going to find a few ozone technologies uh, around mm -hmm. and some of them are gaseous ozone technology. Right. So that would be your air purifier. Mm -hmm. And Ozo specifically works on aqueous ozone. So what that means is we put ozone in water and we have two major products. One is a spray product where you directly spray water that has been ozonated onto a surface and that will sanitize the surface. Wow. The other product we have is an ice machine product where mm -hmm. you ozonate the water that goes into the ice. Again, mm -hmm. this is a low enough level that it does not affect the taste, mm -hmm. but what it does is it ice gets stored uh, mm -hmm. in dirty conditions. You've got people's grubby hands going in and out of the ice machine yeah. all the time. So it helps protect the ice from microbes. Uh, okay. Where do I go get one of those? Enozo.com, E-N-O-Z-O.com. E -N -O -Z -O -O -E -N -O there are a few, e -N -E uh, I, I know quite a few uh, listeners on here that really cherish their ice for a variety of reasons, usually for drink consumption. But also, uh, I think we all really enjoy having our areas uh, sanitary and sanitized, especially in a post-COVID world. So what a great way to do that so that our three-year-olds or 18-year-olds can lick those surfaces and we don't have to worry about them having bleach on their tongue. That sounds pretty disgusting. So awesome. And if people want to find out more about you, uh, hear your, and I got to tell you, I know we were joking about this beforehand. I, I listened to the TED Talk again this morning while working out. If, if I can listen while working out, it is very engaging. It was such an awesome TED Talk. I definitely recommend everybody take a listen. It's only 15 or 20 minutes, but it was really, really powerful. Where can listeners find out more about you? My website, which is shoefits.com. I'm going to spell that. I love it. I just love it. I'm sorry. Go, I was interrupting. <laughs> I love the name of your website. That's so cool. Please say it again. Thank you so much. It is shoefits.com. That's spelled X-U-F-I-T-S.com. Awesome. Please take a look at Shu's website. Check out the TED Talk. If you want her to come speak with you about working at your resonant frequency, have a look. Dr. Shu Simon, you were delightful. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day, sanitizing the world. I definitely appreciate it. Dr. Dan, this was my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. What a great chat with Dr. Shu Simon. Um, just another really fun conversation and got to learn some things I didn't know about Anozo and Ozone. To find out more about Dr. Simon and, uh, you know, to have her come work with your group or speak to you about uh, working in your resonant frequency, uh, you can find out more about her at shufits.com. That's X-U-F-I-T-S.com. I definitely recommend I'm not kidding when I say that podcast, or sorry, podcast, that TED Talk was probably easily one of my favorites. And you know, I've got a lot of favorite TED Talks, but uh, hers just, oh boy, it's going to sound silly, but it really, uh, it resonated with me quite well. Um, it's a pretty brief one. Um, I, I definitely recommend checking out her TED Talk and uh, taking a look at anozo.com. That's ozone spelled backwards or E-N-O-Z-O. 
uh, for that really cool ice maker and uh, cleaning um, stuff. So, and to find out more about me and what I'm up to, you can look at danielafranz.com, D-A-N-I-E-L-A-F-R-A-N-Z.com. Have a look at the Meaning Project podcast merch store or Patreon page. But uh, in the end, thank you so much for this opportunity to bring a little bit of mental health and meaning to your day. Take care. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.